Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, thanks for listening. Just before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you about two things. So the first is our online platform, Classroom Secrets Kids. It's been going for just about a year now. And at the moment, it's only £1 per child for the year. And it has thousands of activities aligned to the curriculum. They can be accessed digitally and the activities are automatically marked for you. So if you haven't done so yet, go to kids.classroomsecrets.co.uk and get a free 14-day trial for the whole class. And the second thing is that we're on Clubhouse. So we're hosting education chats regularly on Clubhouse. It's a new audio social media platform. So to find out a schedule of the rooms that we're hosting, then go to classroomsecrets.co.uk forward slash club. So we'd love you to get involved. You'll be able to quiz the panel about all things education and add your own value too. So each week the rooms are growing and the conversations are really inspiring. So if you haven't heard of Clubhouse, it's still pretty new and it's in the beta phase, but with only 10 million users at the moment, but more are joining every single day. So you're listening to a podcast now, you're going to absolutely love it. At the moment, it's invite only. So keep your ear to the ground and see if you can get an invite from a friend who has access. And if you're one of the lucky ones to already be there, then follow me at Claire Riley and I'll follow you back. So in this episode, I interviewed Dr. Victoria Carr for the second time, um, all about her remote Ofsted visit. And so I know this will be super useful for all of you. So Victoria is currently in her ninth year as a head teacher and it's at Woodlands Primary School in Ellesmere Port. She's also a lecturer on the MA in Leadership Programme at Liverpool Hope. And previously, that was at Chester Uni, and has hosted a TEDx talk on the power of language and everyday heroes. She also has a doctorate herself and two MAs alongside being a mum of two teenagers. So this is going to be really interesting for so many of you out there let's get to the interview victoria thank you so much for joining me on the teachers podcast again <laughs> i know lucky me lucky me and you know what is it has it been a year yet i'm not even sure if it's been a year i feel i feel like it was this time of year roundabout no it hasn't quite been a year i don't think i didn't start doing anything like this um until probably april time march april time last year so i don't think it's quite been a year yeah super so i've never had anyone on twice in the space of a year but you've got (laughs) something very special to talk about so go on then there's only Uh, one thing we can talk about oh what's really really special to teachers and schools uh oh ofsted (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the, the irony there is that um, that's completely the opposite to what I think. But anyway, I think it's it's pertinent to talk about Ofsted perhaps rather than special. So um, we were one of the lucky people, the lucky few uh, who were inspected remotely as part of the Ofsted framework before the half term. And we were inspected in the penultimate week of the half term, uh, just when Ofsted decided to resume their inspections. The reason for that is that we fell into the category. So they announced in January um, that they would recommence or, re- or commence, sorry, their um, their inspections, and we fell into the one of the categories of people that they would inspect. And that was because the school that I'm currently head of uh, had had two successive RI judgments. Um, the kind of story behind those RI judgments is quite convoluted and long-winded. Um, and kind of quite suggestive of a school in need or in dire need or whatever, and and it isn't quite the case. So for those people who are sat there thinking, my school's had two RI judgments as well, um, each school is different really, and the reasons for that will be completely different. So for the school where I currently work, my lovely school, um, we'd had two successive RI inspections, and in many respects, we had already been preparing for a monitoring visit anyway from Ofsted in terms of having all the paperwork to hand. Um, but also, we don't usually do things, but well, in fact, we don't do things just for Ofsted purposes. So everything that we were doing was stuff that we were doing in any case. And again, the people be at all different kind of points in their own journey with their school development 
Um, but we were quite far on in our journey and um, that's just because of how we work and, and the team that we've got. So that's kind of like the background and the context to it. But yeah, so so we were inspected and um, I can easily do a walkthrough uh, of what happened, but maybe a teeny bit more background to the preparation could help. So we were last fully inspected in April 2019 under the previous Ofsted framework. Now that obviously changed a couple of months later. And in September 2019, the entire focus for inspection changed and became much more around the curriculum. Uh, so when we had our inspection in April 2019, as soon as that had happened and confirmed what I was um, hoping it would confirm, which is that the school was at RI, we then put to one side kind of the imperative of the Ofsted visit and focused purely on uh, what we wanted to do with the curriculum. I was in the very lucky position that the school had really focused in the years before I got there on trying to um, improve the maths and the English uh, data that was published. So they'd focused purely on that. The curriculum was kind of very bland and not really cohesive or coherent in any way. So we had a fresh canvas, we had a completely blank canvas and we were all really excited. So in that summer term 2019, we set about doing what we what I what I like to do in the way that I like to do it, which is to do some research about things that we really wanted to do in our school to see children happy, engaged in learning and have this really enjoyable experience at school that they perhaps had lacked um, previously. And my deputy and I, at the time, my deputy was doing MPQH. Um, she had been seconded, ready for the following year. So I knew we wouldn't be doing it with her, but she helped me nevertheless do the research, as did my now deputy, who was one of the senior leaders and some of the, the key staff in school. So we decided that we wanted to do our, our entire curriculum offer really based on uh, improving character and improving and actively improving the children's characters because they were all so wonderful. They had such a fantastic social conscience that we wanted to make our teaching explicit about the world around them, about the impact that they could have on the world and so on. And one of the programs at that point as well, I was um, applying to join the army as a reservist. And so I became quite aware of the military kind of networking out there as well. So began to follow some people on LinkedIn and on Twitter with a military background and also lots of education people who are out there just um, really inspiring me uh, to do the best I can do. And one of those people was a guy called Mike Hamilton who had not long kind of established his, his company called Commander Joe's. Alongside that, which is a really, really exceptional program um, we were really keen on obviously engaging children in reading and, and really switching the light on to some of those things that they'd kind of trawled their way through for a couple of years and not had much enjoyment of. And we worked with a company called The Literacy Company and we kind of undenied about which way we would go. Would it be um, basing all of our learning around the literacy company and the text, that really text-rich um, activity that we'd been doing for a term or two? Or would we completely rewrite it and go down the Commander Joe's route, the Kojo's route. And we decided to stick with the literacy company and really overlay the Commander Joe's learning on top of that and make it a thematic curriculum. So that all began in the summer before the Ofsted framework change. And again, it's important to know the context because not everyone will be the same. So the conversation I'll have in a minute about the inspection and the outcomes of it will all be completely different. So having spent a term mapping out absolutely every aspect of our curriculum, make, me, make, me doing it, me making sure that the geography covered all the national curriculum objectives, the history did, and that it was sensibly organised, that it was progressive and um, met the objectives and also relevant, that it was curriculum, thematically curriculum based. It took a term, which was a long time and a lot of effort. Mm. So in September 2019, we knew we wouldn't get inspected. We knew that we would probably do a monitoring visit two terms from then. So we kind of really enjoyed our time as subject leaders looking at um, each individual topic, 
and how it had progress across the school. So we looked at progress from year one to year six and what that would look like. One example of that is for, you know, if you're using maps with children in year one, they're going to look completely different to maps that you might use with children in year six. Um, you know, you're obviously going to have very simplified maps and, you know, you're going to have maps of the, the British Isles, for example, with children in year one compared to um, the maps that you might look at with children in year six, different countries and different kind of aspects of the world that you might look at and, and talking about why, you know, the maps that we might have used in our education, um, you and I, how they might have had kind of America and Europe at the centre and, and kind of having those kind of broader discussions. So, we looked at every subject really and again that took us a term and it moved into then um christmas 2019 and then a following christmas into um sort of january 2020 and at that point we became aware of the pandemic but we still planned to continue with our curriculum preparations and we focused on um knowledge organizers how we could make that knowledge really easy for children to understand and make those thematic links really explicit um, for children and parents and include them in that and the governors were on the ride with us as well um, so that was the background and then of course there was the first lockdown so during that lockdown period when at that point focus was more on childcare and um, mental health and kind of keeping people going through what what had been largely unforeseen and unexpected. Um, staff were expected to kind of just do some CPD. So we continued with the curriculum-based CPD online. And a lot of people adapted, all the companies that we worked with adapted their provision to teaching online. So the CPD continued despite the lockdown. Then since September, 2020, we came back. And again, we revisited the curriculum and we looked at tying some of those um, things together so for example we'd had a look at provision we'd mapped it out it was quick it was thematically based the next stage then was for us to look at those uh, progressive statements of expectation really and put them onto our tracking system we use a, a system called insight which again is really exceptional and it can be intuitive and it grows with your school so we sent them all of our progress statements and therefore we were then ready to begin to experiment with assessing children uh, in terms of attainments, not kind of formative assessments, but in terms of what they'd attained and, and which aspect of those foundation subjects that they had really got to grips with. So we were already quite far on in our journey, despite COVID, despite the lockdown, when we then paused and we said, look, the expectation now from the government is if anybody goes home, they have to be taught remotely, that they have to access that. So we needed to teach the children how to use those systems, the parents, and also some of our staff who were, if I'm honest, what handful were quite reluctant or quite, you know, weren't really tech interested or tech savvy prior to this uh, lockdown. But we needed to train everybody at the same point, because as you know, you know, you're only as good as, as your weakest link. And if that was a staff member, then that meant that that was a, a huge barrier to that learning taking place if, if and when there was another lockdown. So we did that in a progressive way. Again, we um, spent all of October teaching the staff, the children and the parents how to use the systems and putting that into place so that by the time when we were unlucky enough to have um, a year group bubble closure, which was year two actually, it, everything kicked into place really smoothly. We did a little um, exercise on reviewing how that could have been improved, but largely, um, it, it kicked in the following day, um, children being taught online through uh, Google Classrooms, which was a system that we implemented and no, no learning was lost. It's quite hectic, that first lockdown, uh, that first bubble closure, sorry, because I think, the, you know, it was quite a shock to everybody. It was a shock to the staff, to the parents and so on, but we managed it, which then informed us for how we would do it in January when we actually locked down as a whole school. But I think we were very lucky in the way that we chose to do it. And I think we were lucky in the way that we had already trialed it in, in November, December time with year two, so that when it came to the lockdown, everybody kind of swung into action um, and we kind of overcame some of those initial hurdles already with the learning that we'd done uh, before Christmas. So that's the general context to the offset inspection. Um, and it's important because some of those things were, were actually commented on and we got the letter yesterday after four weeks 
And some of those things were commented on in the letter. So without all of that happening, I think it would have been impossible for us to then do the job that we did during the inspection. So as I say, we were called on the Monday before, um, in the penultimate week before half term, got a call at about 11 o'clock to say um, that the offset inspectors would be inspecting our school on Wednesday and Thursday. They were giving us an extra day, and it does say in their framework as well on the website that they give 48 hours notice for those remote inspections. I suppose to allow them time really to set up things like um, Teams meetings, because there were an awful lot of those to set up, to establish the email addresses for everyone and to basically do a lot of logistical admin. Um, we talked through what they'd seen on our website. So that is the standard anyway for inspections. The inspectors will know they're coming to inspect your school for some time ahead of uh, the inspection. And they're very thorough. They've got all the time to have a look at your website to make sure that you um, have everything on there that you're meant to have. And obviously, most people will know this now, but you're meant to have your remote learning provision very clear on your website. So they'd already had a look at that. We had also completed, and bearing in mind it's a big school, it's a two slash three form entry school. So there are staff enough to do this. Um, but some schools, you know, that are very, very small or one form entry may not have the capacity to, to do these sorts of things. And, it, and this is where it comes a bit uh, challenging or difficult to do. But we had already done the government's um, review really they'd put it out there in January and, and anybody who's a bit savvy knows that what goes out there is usually an instrument that they're going to use later on so they said it was a, a helpful tool for schools to use to review their learning provision their learning offer what it is is a very lengthy document um, for schools to evaluate what they're doing but as, as you well know if, you, if your main focus is on children and parents and families and and learning if you've got the capacity to do those additional things um, kind of remains to be seen, but luckily we did have. So we put that on there. So they'd had a look at our review. They'd had a look at our curriculum offer and our remote learning policy, which was all on the, on the website. They then asked us um, who to, to kind of formulate. Well, I, I already explained to them. So again, it's about taking control of the situation. I'd explained to them that in our school, Everything that we do is team-based. There's no one person who's in charge of anything. Um, we'll work as different teams in the school because that way, if anybody's off ill uh, or if anybody leaves, there's always a, you know, succession planning is always there present. And in, in addition, it helps people to develop skills and to improve their own um, professional practice. So I'd explain to them that they wouldn't be meeting with individuals. Uh, it would be teams. And then I came off the phone and I briefed the senior leadership team. Um, the military people who might be listening to this will laugh because it was a Charlie Charlie one call on the net. They all rocked up uh, remotely and we met to kind of talk about what we would do over the next couple of days. And part of that involved just simply gathering information. And if I had known on the Monday the sorts of things they would, would, would be interested in looking at, I'd have kind of made more preparations, which is what I put in the document that I shared later at the end of that week. Um, so one of those things might have been sort of saying to the staff who were teaching, OK, have a look at some of the children who have engaged fully for, for, a, for a unit of work in the last four weeks. If it's a two week unit or a three week unit, have a look at some of the work that you've that you've marked or given feedback on in, in that um, period of time. Give me your planning. Give me some screenshots of the work that the children have submitted via Google Classrooms and evidence of your marking and your feedback. And then um, compile it all into one simply emailable document, shareable document. And I could have shared that in advance. As it happened, we did that on the first night of the inspection. But those are the sorts of things that they wanted to have a look at. What learning is taking place when children are at home? Um, they didn't kind of say that that's what they would look at or that, that it was even an essential part of it, um, but they just wanted to know what was happening. And it was something that we could easily evidence. It just took about an hour to produce. So again, those hours, are, you know, 60 minutes is a massive um, period of time for an already busy teacher who's preparing and feeding back and so on. So if it had had that on the Monday, I'd have said, spend the next two days 
pulling that together. So it isn't a 60 minute block of time that you need to find. It's more like I'll find time here and there around what I'm doing anyway. Uh, but essentially what we gathered ready for them, obviously, was the self-evaluation framework, school development plan, um, other documents that we had produced for other people. And I submitted that all via email that night. Um, our curriculum outline as well, which was really important. And then I gave them some samples. Really, I just picked one topic. Our art teacher was actually off school with COVID and not, not teaching at all. She, she was actually very poorly with COVID. So I thought one nice way of involving her in the process would be to submit to her, to submit to the inspectors, her kind of overview of the subject, um, the progression statements that were then on our insights um, tracking system for art and some of the exemplar of, of the work that had been created as a result of her curriculum plan because I knew she wouldn't be able to talk it through. She wasn't one of the people obviously that could be interviewed, but nevertheless, they would see the quality of the work in a subject that sometimes may go, um, you know, maybe overlooked to a degree. So we selected the people that would be in school, because obviously there are people at home teaching all of this time, and then people that they wanted to interview. So we kind of managed our timetable so that the people who are teaching at home weren't involved in the uh, curriculum discussions that the people that were in school could be. Um, so we chose geography, um, science, I think, and IT and something else. But basically we kind of dictated who those people would be. So it wasn't a deep dive where, where kind of Ofsted dictated to us who they wanted to talk to. They were very pragmatic and very um, understanding of some of the constraints that we had because I'd explained them really carefully on the Monday. So in that conversation, a very brief conversation, we set up the team's meeting for the afternoon where we would have a more detailed and, and thorough preparation discussion. And it was about 90 minutes in the afternoon, by which time I'd already briefed my senior leaders and they were all part of that team's meeting in the afternoon. And I'd already explained to the inspectors that's how it would be. Because for me, the only real benefit of this inspection process was that my entire staff would go through a kind of dress rehearsal, what would be expected in the full inspection that we would do, because this obviously was only just a monitoring visit. We haven't had our section five uh, inspection and we already knew that we would not be able to um, change our Ofsted grading on the back of this inspection. We knew that we were told on, on day one, this will not change the grade for you. Um, which was disappointing because we knew it was going to be three or four days worth of work, but with no real outcome. Mm. But nevertheless, so I just thought the only benefit to this now, uh, given the work that we'll do in the next four days, is that the staff will all have a dress rehearsal. And I think if you train hard, then you fight easy. And, and for me, that was the whole point of it, really, the outcome. So uh, the staff were all part of that. And from there, really, we generated our own work. We, we generated um, a series of little actions that we would all pull together. We all worked as a team to come up with some, we had a look at the framework that they would inspect us under, and we worked as a team to kind of come up with a, some, some kind of stock answers, really. If people were stressed or anxious, particularly the governors, we had some new governors, and if they were particularly anxious about anything they were going to be asked, all the answers would be in this collective um, document that we then shared with the governors and all of the staff. And then I did a briefing on Zoom for all the staff and said, you know, guys, there won't be any surprises here. It's all stuff that you've done, but some of you might have forgotten the process that you've been through. So I said to them, Basically, I'd rehearsed it with the senior leaders, talk me through what we've done since the last inspection between the inspection and the first lockdown, what, what happened. And of course, after people got over that initial anxiety and kind of shock of capture, they all realised that we did an awful lot. And I kind of alluded to that just at the, at the preamble before um, I started talking about the actual inspection. So we went through it um, meticulously as I, I kind of started to say to you we talked about what we did in that first term after inspection and people's kind of the light bulbs were going on like oh yeah I remember that oh blimey was that then oh yeah of course we did that yeah we've done that as well so once it you know sort of satisfied themselves that we, we were all prepared they then became much more calm about the days to follow and one of the other things 
that happened over the two-day inspection. So the next day was really quite a strangely calm day. On the Tuesday, because we had everything to hand and we'd sent it all off, it was very bizarre because there wasn't any kind of rushing around or um, you know, grasping for information. It was all very... Um, Everyone had their little jobs to do. We all gathered it together and I sent it off by email and uploaded it to the Ofsted portal. So the most time consuming thing really was looking at the two day timetable and to put in everyone's names and all the email addresses and organize the meetings that they had. And they met with various groups of people and this will differ from school to school. They met with, they explained to me that they wouldn't be in person unless they had any specific safeguarding concerns, um, which thankfully they didn't. They, everything would be conducted remotely, but they did speak to um, our safeguarding um, special needs slash um, pastoral lead for, for about an hour and a half. So that was a 90 minute interview with them. But we submitted lots of documents beforehand as well um, for them to test out their theory. So the things I prepared in advance were things like case studies of uh, vulnerable children. They wanted to see some of those vulnerable children in school and talk to them which I was happy to do um, with, with staff in the room. Um, but then I wanted to obviously give a bit more context behind it. So we anonymized um, some family case studies of the children that they would talk to uh, and sort of talked about some of the support that those families had had from various agencies and how that was coordinated. The same thing happened with the special needs coordinator about special needs. We anonymized um the kind of like a chronology really of support that these children had had and the journey they'd had in order to get support and funding. And they then spoke to some children with special needs live on Zoom, again with staff in the room. Uh, and then they spoke to some subject leads. Again, they talked through the curriculum expectations, the document that I'd shared with them, testing out really whether what I'd said was actually what was happening and what had happened, which is fine. And it's to be expected. That's exactly what officers do. The leadership tells them what's going on and then they will ask other people to make sure. The staff had all completed the questionnaire. Uh, well, actually, not all. 66 of them completed the questionnaire, um, which is the, you know a vast majority. But obviously, some people were unwell, some people you know, busy, literally busy um, teaching and not part really of the inspection itself. So um, they got some staff views, but even during the conversations that they were having, they were gathering the staff views about support, about CPD, about um, challenge, about their understanding of the school um, ethos and the drive that I told them that we had in order to complete our um, curriculum intent. So they tested everything out with, with every people, every bunch of people that they spoke to. They spoke to some teaching assistants separately to everyone else um, to ask again about support, about whether they felt um, they'd had the help necessary to, to be able to teach remotely or to involve themselves in the, in the school delivery of the curriculum during lockdown. But their main areas really were, where did the school get to from the previous inspection to lockdown. What has happened during lockdown, lockdown one? What then happened in September to try and mitigate for some of the lost learning? And what is now happening in lockdown three? Um, so we were able to talk really coherently about all four elements of what they wanted to talk about because we'd done an awful lot beforehand. During lockdown one, um, we had continued in terms of staff development when we came back in September, we assessed the children um, and we were using the catch-up funding, which was another thing they wanted to talk about. And, and that had carried on now. So even during this lockdown, we've had phonics teaching. We've had one-to-one -one phonics sessions. We've had phonic assessments happen on, on uh, teams. We've had um, maths. We've had, um, you know, small group maths interventions. We've had all kinds of interventions that have continued the one-to-ones have still been doing feedback on Google Classroom, so all the chat is monitored by one-to-one -one, um, teaching assistants or by the teachers who aren't actually physically teaching. So everything really that you would expect to happen in school had continued during this um, third lockdown period, which is all the stuff that they tested. You know when you say that you um, sort of prepared some case studies and things? Yeah. Was, was that something that you'd been working on for quite a while? Um, no. No. Was it something you did in response to their questions or did you do it just before? 
No. So when we realised what they wanted to do, when they told us on the Monday, we would like to speak to some vulnerable children, we would like to speak to some special needs children. I didn't want those children to feel under any pressure. I didn't want that to be to add anxiety to anybody. So I just said, yeah, that's okay, but it'll be, you know, in school and there'll be staff in the room. There's no way I would let um, mm. children, it'd be different if it was in school, but I think because it was a very unusual circumstance and we'd done a lot of work around teaching our children about online safety, that it kind of felt like it was going against the grain. So yeah, we'll pop you in a room to, to chat to some people that you don't know. Um, so it was all very much organized by us. So once we realized who they were wanted to talk to and what they wanted to know about, we just pulled together those um, case studies really. And again, it, it took about an hour to kind of pull it all together because of the systems that we've got. It's difficult really, isn't it? Because obviously that's the agenda they had for you, but they don't necessarily have the same agenda for every school. So it's it's hard because you can't necessarily, you know, somebody could go away now and think, right, okay, we could um, sort of put together these case studies in this particular area, but they don't know if it's going to be useful and you sort of can't do it for, for absolutely everything um no really we just interesting. We, we did three we did three vulnerable children who were all in on that day talking so it'd be difficult to prepare those in advance unless you've got children in regularly anyway and what happened so our inspection was on a wednesday and a thursday so they ring you on a monday they have to give 48 hours notice the inspections are wednesday and thursday and then on the Friday, I spent the day um, pulling together um, from every single member of the community, school community the questions that they were asked. And I put them in a, in a document that I then shared. And funnily enough, I put it on Twitter and said, look, I've, I've put it together um, if anybody's interested. And I, I, sent, I sent it out to over 3,000 people. Um, and then the following week, which was the last week of term, the half term, Again, I was aware that if I didn't do it on the Friday and spend the weekend sharing it with people, there could be people on the Monday who would get the same call we had and be completely, um, you know, mm. not clueless, but, uh, you know, not, not knowing what to expect. Whereas if they had that document, then they could at least begin to plan ahead. And, and funnily enough, my good friend who's around the corner had the call on the Monday and she had that document on the Friday afternoon. I shared it with all the people in our local authority as well. And um she had the call on the Monday morning from, in fact, funnily enough, from the same inspectors. Now I'm interested, to, I haven't spoken to her really other than to see how she is, but I'm interested to see probably next week when she gets her letter, if there's any kind of congruence between the sorts of things that she was asked and did. I know she sent me a message to say that she was really grateful for that document because it helped them to get organized and prepared on the Monday in advance very, very quickly. Um, so I'm assuming that because the areas are so limited, they, they, they weren't interested in, in doing deep dives or anything like that. Those remote inspections are limited naturally mm. because they're, they're not able to just pick things up in a classroom or wander around the school. It, it, I wanted to show our school off in the best possible light. I wanted to give people a chance to talk to them and go through that experience as a coaching experience for me. I mean, you, you can't buy a real offset experience. You can, you know, people can come and do mock sets until the cows come home, but it's not relevant until you feel that level of pressure mm. uh, um, and manage that really in a sensible way. And, and, you know, the staff said they'd never felt more ready, which is great because they've said that in the last two inspections I've done with them, whether that was the real one in, in um, April, 2019 or the monitoring visit, you know, remotely now, I think it all comes down to the preparation that happens beforehand, as opposed to what goes on in those couple of days, because we were not stressed at all in the two days before, because we just, all we had to do was go on the laptop, find the work, send it off, or pull it together from stuff that was already happening. Um, so yeah, so I know what you're saying, is there a generic thing that could be used and I think the only generic thing is that they already had pointed out in their in their framework in January the areas that they were going to be looking at, and that is exactly what we were asked. There was no kind of trick of oh, we know you're expecting to be asked about you know from your last inspection to the lockdown, during the lockdown, and post lockdown. Um, there was there was no kind of like oh we, we know you think you're going to get asked that, but actually what we want to ask you about is this. It was all literally about those areas, and that's what we showed them. Um, I was pleased to be able to show 
the, the work of um, my colleagues in terms of safeguarding and special needs, because, you know, we use CPOMS, which is a really good system, very effective. You can print off chronologies, you can anonymize work very quickly, and, and you can very quickly produce um, a framework of, of support that a young person has had in our school. Um, the other thing that they did interestingly was the, the parent questionnaire. I think there was 120 or 112, I can't remember which parents responded, but they opened up a free text box for people to say what they liked. And I'm not sure if that's normally the way forward. I think it is literally just a, a multi-choice um, feedback sheet. But we had a lot of parents who'd written some wonderful things and they did actually read out some of those um, wonderful comments to us which was great, um, and the staff feedback as well. I mean, you know, obviously you're always going to get parents who have an axe to grind, who use that as a, a platform to kind of um, have have their moment, if you like, and they're entitled to it. And, and you know, and some of them did use it, but because it was overwhelmingly um, positive what had been said, it kind of nullified some of that negativity, really. And, you know, a handful of special needs parents kind of said that they – you know, they didn't agree with the way we did things in school. But again, the vast majority um, supported the fact that that wasn't, that wasn't factually accurate. It might have been how that person felt, but it wasn't factually accurate. And I think that happens on the second day. They spoke to governors, they spoke to the LA representative. Um, yeah, they spoke to all different aspects of, of staff. So I think they were very thorough. Just on that then, did you feel like it was a useful experience? Yeah, I did. Not the inspection itself. Um, we got the letter yesterday. It took a month for that letter to come through. It's 600 words. Um, the feedback that they gave us on that second day took about two and a half hours. Um, so if you think about all the fantastic and extremely positive feedback that we got, A, it didn't change the uh, grade for the school. Mm. Uh, and B, how can you condense two and a half hours of really good feedback into 600 words? It's, you know, it, it's six paragraphs, that's it. So yes, it was useful because, simply because of one thing, it was a dress rehearsal for the inspection that we will have at some point. And for some of my newly qualified staff, oh, they spoke to newly qualified staff as well. They wanted to ask the NQTs, um, who had obviously finished their teacher training during one lockdown and were now teaching through a, a pandemic and a second lockdown, mm -hmm. what continued professional development was on offer? What support did we give them as a school? And again, you know, we, we work in a supportive way regardless of the circumstances because that is how we operate. So it felt really good for um, all of those staff members to have their say and have their moment of, um, of kind of, recognition really so it was useful in that we had newly qualified teachers who've never had an offset inspection we had teaching assistants who were perhaps nervous in the past because of the history of the school who've now had a moment to kind of celebrate their work um and and also be supportive of their workplace so everybody had a dress rehearsal about expectations and and everybody now knows the kinds of things that will be asked in the future and it's it's more about mindsets um i always see these things you know, I, I've had two complaints to Ofsted about me in, in the last two and a half years. And when I'm, uh, you know, when Ofsted approached the local authority, then approach you to provide a response, it gives you a chance to say, OK, that, that's that's what someone said to you. Um, and now I'm going to tell you the, the reality, the 360 of this whole thing. And it's normally about 100 pages of information that it takes you time to gather. But that point when you show the work that gets done in your school it's so empowering because you think we're actually knocking this out of the ballpark. No matter what's happened, no matter what's going on, everything we do is about the children, the parents and the staff in the school. And it's nice to be able to show that off. So was it useful? It was lovely for me to celebrate the work of my staff. It was lovely for the parents who were so supportive um, to be able to say such wonderful things and for the staff to hear them. It was great for the, everybody to have a little dry run and, and, a, and a dress rehearsal, a practice. Um, and it was great to be able to share that with other people and, and, you know, creating those networks following that. You know, yes, it took me two days and I was up till goodness knows what time sending those emails out. But the networks that have been created from that are also very beneficial. There's a chap called Paul Garvey 
um, who was like an international Twitter star, who um, actually offered to intervene and help me. He produced that document as a sort of PDF that could that was on his website as a link, which meant that I I could stop after about three three thousand. I could stop sending emails out. <laughs> I nearly burnt my email to pieces. But um, so he was really helpful, and it just means that you can now network. Um, and people know the values of your school mm-hmm. and they know the quality of the work that goes on in your school. So it kind of belies the fact that we're a double RI school really um, and proves the work that goes on because I've got actual, um, you know, real life legitimate experience of the work that goes on in, a, in an outstanding school, not too far away from where I am right now. And um, that not half of what goes on in our school is happening in that school, but they are not, um, you know, that that won't be checked upon because I've said don't focus on schools that are outstanding. That school hasn't been inspected for about nine years, but um, they, nevertheless, they carry that outstanding label. Um, so it's quite nice for the people in my school who put in the work to know that despite that label, what goes on is, uh, is extremely good. Good. Oh, thank you so much. I think, um, you know, just circling back to, you know, when you said you'd had complaints to, to Ofsted from parents, it's all about perception, isn't it? And, you know, it's a pain that you've, you've had to gather that evidence. But then, like you said, you've been able to correct maybe an incorrect perception um, and maybe not to all the people that, that you would like to, because we can't control that. But um, that's something I certainly learned about last year was was perception and how um it's important to remember that that's what it is it's just perception um so what what should teachers or or head teachers or slt or schools do uh you know what are the three top tips you could give well i think what they should do really you know leadership teams should do what they do best for their school all the time and if they're doing that all the time and the majority of of people that I know certainly in leadership are doing it all the time they know their school they're doing the best they can all the time working with integrity good ethical leadership means that you are 99% prepared anyway for anybody walking into your school to ask you any question or any kind of complaint coming in so the first thing is do what you do best um lead with integrity and you know the second thing is I would say you know take control of the situation I'm not an aggressive person but I am quite um forthright and so when I explain to the inspectors listen it's Monday I've already set up a mental health training for my staff tonight my staff enjoyed the most wonderful um group coaching session from an incredible woman called Christina Mitchell who again is on Twitter and they absolutely loved it. One of my staff, her mum was being buried that day. with She'd had COVID and died. My chair of governors was conducting the funeral of that person's mum. Wow. So, I, And I said to the inspector, you know, you guys, I literally said it, you guys are coming in to inspect our school for two days. I have got to care for my staff and my school for the long term, not just this week for Ofsted. So I'm not going to ask them to produce anything tonight. I'm not going to ask them to not go to the training tonight. I want them to do that training. And you need to understand in the context of what you're coming to do, there's a much wider issue here, which is actually the pandemic. People are dying. I've got staff who have COVID. I've got people whose family members have died of it. So, you know, I am pragmatic and empathetic about that. And yes, we want to show off our school, but you need to understand that's the context. And they were really understanding of that. But I think saying it out loud and owning that situation that you and your school are in and being prepared to kind of push the agenda that you want is is important because you've got to control that. You, You dictate what you show them, what you share they don't ask you for information necessarily. They kind of said on the Wednesday night, well, it'd be interesting to see how that, how, how a unit of work was taught. I thought, well, no, yeah, that's a throwaway comment from me, but now I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to make sure you see it. It's not, an, it's not of interest. This is an actual imperative. So I, I didn't, I don't ever like to do things superficially. I wanted them to know everything and, mm. and, this, and the staff do too. And, and it's having that confidence to say, 
this is my school and this is what you will know by the time you finished. And so I think, you know, the first thing, lead with integrity and do what you do best in your school. You know your people, you, you know your, your school. And the second thing is take control of the inspection. And the third thing is just re- if, if it's at all possible, remain calm because, you know, <laughs> these people are just doing their job. Um, you know, f- for them, it's not necessarily life-changing. They are just simply doing a job. Um, you know, it's not a very popular job, but it's a, <laughs> it's a job that they have to do. And in many do not, respects... Do you not see yourself doing it in the future then? <laughs> I will never be an Austin inspector. Never, ever, <laughs> ever. Just thought um, I'd ask if you yeah. mentioned it. No, no. I mean, I, I don't have anything against Austin inspectors. One of my good pals is an inspector, but... I, I couldn't do that job. No, I, I love my school. And, and in fact, funnily enough, um, somebody wrote to me recently and said, um, uh, you know, are you planning to be an inspector? Or are you planning to be an MP? Or are you planning to be a union? I could, I could, I could see you being an MP. I think you'd be no, very good at it. Uh, no, no, no. I, I like, I like <laughs> to work with integrity, and I like to be honest with people. Um, and well, I love- yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, you should just get into it, and you know. <laughs> It'd actually be good to actually have a teacher, you know, somebody who's Maybe. had experience there. Maybe. But I, you know, I, I love my school. I love my job and uh, I have no intention of, of being an inspector or an MP. I, I think something has to, I think you have to lose something about, about yourself to be an MP and I'm not sure what, and I'm not <laughs> sure why, but I think in some ways you do, um, which is a real shame. But, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I, the DFE rang me up the, the other month um, to question me about something and, and I gave them about an hour's feedback on, on what I think could have been improved so if ever I'm asked I'll, I'll share certainly and I think what you know I was on the politics program one Sunday the other week to say exactly this I think the mistake that the government have made is not to ask real people doing the real job they mm. might have asked their buddies or they might have this outdated idea of what goes on but it's not actually what goes on in schools and if they'd have asked any of the people who I'm linked in with on um, Twitter or LinkedIn you know what do you think about this idea if we mooted this idea would it work people would have said well no or it could work if you do this or they'd have given legitimate genuine feedback which would have benefited the entire country and I think it's a shame that didn't happen and it's also a shame that they let the media ride roughshod over us because actually we've all done a cracking job and whether Ofsted say that or not to you if you do get an inspection we've all kept everything going um, and children being taught to the best of our ability in whatever context. So that I do know for a fact. And, so, and with a lot of factors outside, you know, teachers control now. Yeah. And um, because, you know, there's always a lot of factors outside, um, you know, one teacher's control in terms of what's going on with the children at home. Um, but they, it just takes it to a completely whole new level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being a tutor and visiting children's houses and, you know, at least I was there <laughs> next to them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, it is difficult to kind of be all things to all people all the time. And I suppose the advocates for the government, I mean, I'm, I'm political, to be honest with you, but I think the advocates for the government and what they've done probably see that that it is difficult to be all things to all people all the time but I think the pragmatists amongst us would say yeah it is but I I don't I'm not all people to all things all the time what I do is I have a team and I ask my team and then I ask people who know what they're talking about to advise my team so that by the time we arrive at decision making I'm making an informed decision that may not benefit Mm -hmm. all people but it benefits the majority and the people that doesn't benefit I can then um, speak to directly and, and apologize f- for the impact and try and mitigate for some of the reasons why it won't benefit them. But I think if you're not going to take advice, if you're not going to act on advice, and if, and if you're not going to um, seek to be informed, then you're really on a hiding to nothing. And I think that's what's happened, really. So it's a shame for the government because, yes, it is a difficult situation, but equally it, it could have been handled in a completely different way, Um with take, you know, taking advice on because here we are we've just had the third lockdown and everyone's now nervous about another one happening you know if everyone comes back too soon if it's all but again I, I think being honest about it um and and you know 
helps people to understand where you're coming from. And I think the fact we've got Easter holidays in three and a half weeks is probably one reason why they're bringing everybody back, you know, en masse, because three and a half weeks time, we'll start to see any kind of um, increase in, in numbers and rates, mm-hmm. whether it, whether it's a new variant or not. And then there's a, a natural two week break where everyone can stay home. So I think it's kind of manipulating um, time but without telling people that's what's happening. So it leaves a lot of concerned individuals who are unsure, um, you know, worrying about what's going on when it, it's not really necessary to do that. But mm-hmm. you know, that's just my view, political view, which I shouldn't really have, apparently, as a head teacher. But I am apolitical, as I've just said, and it's just simply an observation on, on leadership as opposed to politics, really. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> okay, so where can where can people find you um so i think you've mentioned that your document is on paul garvey's site it is yeah um i now tweet i've had to change my twitter handle from my school name i was head of woodlands i am now happy head 74 uh on twitter and i am i am on linkedin as dr victoria carr and my school is obviously woodlands primary school in osmere port and the documents, the Ofsted document is on Paul Garvey's um, website. He's Talk for Teaching, uh, international superstar. So, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Super. Thank you <laughs> so much. Um, and I look forward to soon talking to you properly on Clubhouse. <laughs> when you've got fewer things on your plate, just before the call, um, she showed me a diary which... Um, was I don't even know how you're understanding it but very very full um so yeah in a few weeks time we'll we'll have a little chat on there with some some other people so thank you so much my absolute pleasure thanks for having me thanks for listening what is it that you could start doing this week to stop worrying about the pressure of Ofsted so do you need to prepare anything extra or do you just need to believe in yourself and the rest of your team believe that you are already doing a good job. I really hope that Victoria's account has helped put your mind at ease. If you want to give any feedback about your own remote learning Ofsted experience or how you've been preparing, then just start up a conversation in the Teachers Podcast community on Facebook so that others can get involved or you could join us on Clubhouse. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.